And so, of course, you uh, you came up in a number of places as as an expert on uh, on WTO related issues, and I thought that um, I'd ask for some of your insight. My my line of thinking, and certainly I'm not the expert on this, so I, I would love to hear your thoughts. But my line of thinking is that the global trading system including and centered on the WTO, is really founded on principles that are Anglo-American principles, generally of laissez-faire free trade. But we have these increasingly powerful economies that don't subscribe to the same principles. And that that has caused problems in in global trade. and, and really a, a breakdown in global trading arrangements. And, and so then what we see are the uh, countries resorting to anti-dumping and countervailing duties, uh, determinations, and regional trade agreements, and really working outside of the WTO. Is that, what are your thoughts about that, that kind of idea that these problem, problems are caused at least in part by very different philosophies of of trade policy. Well, I, I I basically do not subscribe to the view which you've expressed. Okay. I believe that I believe that the compelling case for trade liberalisation is more important on a rule based system is more important for China and for developing countries more generally than it is for anybody, and that they have the biggest interest in the maintenance of the multilateral trading system. And the um, importance of this rule-based system has been ignored, or at least has not been, has not been um, advanced with the degree of vigor that I would have hoped for. Mm-hmm. In, a way, in a way, the um, lobbies for protectionism that are to be found in the developed economies and have always been there are far more understandable <clears throat> and, uh, and their antagonism to multilateral trade and the advancing liberalization of trade and opening of borders is more understandable politically to me than a reluctance to embrace and push the multilateral agenda by India, countries such as China and India. Um, and I think that there are grounds for real disappointment with the failure of the Doha round and the development which is being embraced vigorously by the European Union and by the United States of bilateralism and which is utterly destructive, is ultimately destructive of the interests of the global trading system and global prosperity. I, I would much prefer to have seen uh, bilateral developments taking place under the umbrella of the WTO than outside it. And if, if we fail to recognize the enormous benefit that the gap system brought to the whole process of globalization, which is central to the ambitions of China, 
we're missing the whole point. And I think the point is being missed in regard to the uh, in, in regard to the Doha round. Uh, and the Doha round round itself is emblematic of the uh, of the WTO itself. Uh, WTO itself. If the WTO loses credibility, its dispute settlement mechanism and its potential as a negotiating forum based on the principle of most favored nation and non-discrimination will be eroded. Mm. And that will open up the opportunity for fractious trade disputes that cannot be resolved and for more protectionism. So I'm deeply disappointed with where we are. And I blame the big traders, uh, China and the United States in particular, for not pushing the multilateral system forward. And a price will be paid for this. It's already beginning to be evident in terms of protectionism. Right. Now, when you say that, that, that you don't understand the reluctance in China to further trade liberalization, why, why, I, I mean, what reasons are there, do you think, that they are reluctant? I mean, what benefits do they see in, in really holding back in that case? Well, I think that trade policy has always been dictated in every country. And I'm not focusing particularly on, on China. I think that the U.S. is the most important leader in trade negotiations and has been since the end of the Second World War. And it has not been active or positively engaged in the conclusion of the Doha round. So if I were to point the finger particularly in any one direction, I would point it there. Okay. But I think that China, China, Brazil, and India, and to a lesser extent, actually, Europe, also carry a responsibility for this. I think that you always have a conflict between domestic interests who do not want to give more liberalization as the quid pro quo for the liberalization that you get, get elsewhere. And you have that both in China and in the United States and in Europe and uh, India and Brazil. Um, and they, it requires political leadership to recognize that the common interest is overwhelmingly in pressing forward with the liberalization agenda rather than holding back because you don't want to do A, B, or C, which is part of the inevitable bargaining process which allows multilateral engagements to conclude and um, it's very easy to stop negotiations by simply not moving and that's exactly what's happened with the Doha round. Uh, the Doha round I think is effectively dead mm -hmm. and it's dead because uh, and it carries a big price and I'm amazed at the uh, apparently enthusiasm reaction to that reality. What is, I remember when China, you asked, you, you made the initial point that the Chinese had a, a different attitude to multilateral trade, if I understood you correctly, Correct. to that in the West. I think that that's nonsense. I think that the letter of application, which I've seen by the Chinese to join the GATT, uh, was based upon and explicitly expressed the view that the system of the command economy, import-substitute economy and the uh, former regime didn't work 
and what was required was an embracing of the global trading system and the process of globalization. That's what uh, is no different from, and it's exactly the same motivation as um, uh, the motivation in the developed countries. So I just don't accept the, the fact that there is a different attitude to trade. There's been no bigger beneficiary of the multilateral trading system than China. And uh, to disregard it and not to become its primary advocate strikes me as being strange. If that is the case, and I, I, I haven't seen great evidence, I'm not blaming China any more than I'm blaming anyone else. I'm just saying that if anyone has an interest in maintaining and developing the, uh, the, the process of multilateralism, it's China. Sure. So it, it seems like there's always in in each in any given country there's always a balance between domestic interests that in many cases elect the policymakers at least in in democracies and and the understanding that trade liberalization is beneficial for the economy on whole is that fair to say that there has there's always some kind of line that policymakers have to walk well, obviously there, has, obviously there has to be a balance, but at the end of the day, you have to face down domestic lobbies. Take the end of the Uruguay round. There were various domestic lobbies which were considerably, um, which were extremely potent, which were opposed to the conclusion of the Uruguay round and the creation of the WTO. But I'll give you examples. The agricultural lobby, uh, lobbies just about everywhere were strongly against. Uh, in Asia, it would be the rice lobby. lobby. Uh, uh, the intellectual property concerns of, of India were a, created a major lobby. We had major lobbies in the United States on the, on the audiovisual area, uh, the area of cinema and so on. Um, uh, these were all negative forces that were ultimately uh, had to be accommodated not by exceptionalism often, but often by uh, governments leading in the common interest. The common interest is never voiced as uh, audibly um, as uh, the, the specific lobbies of the negativists, but they have to be faced down. That's what the political leadership is about. Mm -hmm. And there was political leadership in coming up to December 1993 when the Uruguay round was concluded. But there were deadlines and there were uh, texts and things were done. Uh, all I'm saying is that the evidence of that leadership all over the place right. is absent on parade, absent on parade in this case, in my view. And, and why is that, do you think? What, what's changed? I, don't, I, I, I think that uh, political leadership is often the result not of inexorable forces, but of individual leaders. I think uh, when I was asked to take uh, over the GATT uh, to conclude the Uruguay round, I said to uh, Mickey Cantor, who was the U.S. trade representative at the time, why should I do this? This has been seven or eight years of going nowhere, and it's totally blocked now. And he said, uh, over dinner, and he said to me, look into my eyes, he said, I'm telling you, I know, and the president knows, that you don't make history by not reaching agreements. And we both know 
that it is necessary to conclude this, and we're determined to do so. So I think individual leaders matter, and I think they did in that case. I think uh, Leon Britton was leading the negotiation in Europe. I believe he did well. Uh, he had a similar absolute commitment, and he, 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 in persuading me to take the job, said exactly the same thing. They may, might have fought like tigers, as they did in the negotiations, but I always knew that people, in the end of the day, in the two biggest trading country company, countries at that time, or regions, Europe and the United States, were determined to get it done. There is no determination, and you know this, in Washington, and hasn't been for the last number of years, to conclude a multilateral negotiation in the WTO. Right, and I, I know that in the United States, at least, there's a public perception that globalization, whether it's you know, globalization or, or trade liberalization with China or the EU or anyone else, that it essentially steals American jobs. That's a, a public perception. And I wonder if that has influenced either the well, leaders... If, 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 if that were to be true, if that were to be true, and it was equally applicable in China and Europe and Japan and everywhere else, the consequences of the winning, that argument being won, as it is being won, is inevitably protectionism. Right. And we, we just see where that leads us. And it is so incredibly short-sighted and politically incorrect and economically incorrect to advance that argument that it has to be stopped. And the only way you can stop that is by political leadership. What I'm decrying is what seems to me to be the absence of that leadership. Right, right, yeah. And I, 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 I mean, when I, I was asked to do a report uh, by Prime Minister Cameron and by uh, Mrs. Merkel and Mr. Erdogan uh, of Turkey, um, uh, co-chairing with Jagdish Bagwati, and we gave, gave that report in May 2011, mm -hmm. the so-called High-Level Trade Experts Group, on how to conclude the uh, uh, Doha Round and make it viable. Both uh, Merkel and um, Cameron were deeply committed to it. I think they did want it. perception is tilting against free trade and and it's the voters who are responsible for electing political leaders is there any hope to have an elected leader who in say the United States for example who really will advance the free trade agenda I don't know the answer to that I think that both the presidential candidates are intelligent men and that whatever rhetoric of electioneering may take place, that the bottom line 
positions would be on careful reflection that they would continue the policy of the United States since the Second World War, which is that uh, opening borders and developing competition is the only way to remain uh, productive and to increase growth. So I don't believe that at the end of the day they will want to uh, uh, destroy the multilateral system, but they now have to act activate to save it and talk about illusory concepts like it, which may be the result of multilateralism failing if it happens, like the Trans-Pacific free trade area, or the uh, uh, or the even more uh, incredible idea of, of, of a, North, a North Atlantic free trade area, will end up being protectionist devices if they ever happen. They won't happen, in my view, but they will divert attention from where attention should be given, which is towards multilateralism. Right. But all this bilateralism creates, as far as China is concerned, if China doesn't understand this, I can't understand, I can't believe they don't understand this, it creates a threat, not an opportunity. Because everybody will be at it. And the bilateral treaties will be conducted, not on a most favored nation basis, but on a discriminatory basis. And with uh, setting up a, a web of bilateral trading negotiations, which are not open and which will ultimately be used to the, dis to the disadvantage of the major trading countries themselves. Right. So, so what are your what What's the solution then? I mean, how? Obviously, having political leaders who will advance the the multilateral trade agenda, but how do we get there from where we are right now? Well, we, there's no simple answer. I mean, it's a perfectly legitimate question, but there's no simple answer to it. Uh, uh, the reality is that they mouth and have been mouthing the right expressions at G20 meetings and before that G8 meetings since time immemorial even in the context of the Doha round. The question is, how do we raise the level of public debate uh, I, I, to, on, on an issue which is vitally important? I, I'm not sure how that's done. I mean, that was what Merkel, Erdogan, and, uh, uh, and uh, uh, Cameron tried to do with the, the report, our report, which they launched, and that tried to do at various G20 meetings. And you get statements said about how important it is to conclude the Doha round, and nobody does anything about it. So it's probably dead now. I think we need to, we need to create a new impetus at, at, at um, WTO level. But in order to have that, any realistic prospect of that going anywhere, we have to get a buy-in, which there's no evidence of, from the political leadership in the countries that I've referred to. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. I I wanted but to. I, I I really would like to see China leading uh, because I to my, to my mind they have a great interest in this, and as long as this is perceived as being a sort of an OECD, US Europe uh, issue, uh, it's totally misconstruing uh, the reality. It's, it's a developing country issue above all. That they, that they should have a multilateral system that works.
Right. Now, in, in terms of, of China and Japan and, and Brazil and, and some other Asian countries, it seems like, you know, you're absolutely, it, it seems like they talk about, um, especially in China, you know, reforming the economy and moving away from the state-directed, uh, very heavy state hand, um, you know, moving away from the ex export-dominated economy, but that they don't seem to be actually doing it. And, and so then I wonder, well, is the goal to reap the benefits of, of their participation in the WTO, but not do the hard work that is really required to actually reform their economy? I'm sorry, I didn't catch that. So, so the question is, is, is China, for example, and, and China certainly isn't the only one, but are they trying to um, you know, reap the rewards of participation in the WTO without doing the hard work of actually reforming their economy, which they've talked about but haven't yet actually done? There are no saints in, in this area restructuring economies and making them more productive and um, so on. I mean, in a way, that's what the whole Eurozone crisis is also about. So it's, it's a difficult time. Um, but for China, I can't comment on how much or how little China is doing. All I know is that China is now... <coughs> such an essential part of the global economy and any growth perspective that there is on it, that it has to, uh, it has to open up more uh, and have a, uh, in, in, to help the global economy and to help themselves. Um, uh, so I can't, I can't really answer your question other than saying that. Okay, okay. Well, let's uh, hope for some uh, politi real political leadership, maybe, uh, maybe yeah. in the at, in the new year, maybe twenty thirteen is the year for political leadership. Hope so. <laughs>